So let me invite you to open God's Word with me once again uh, to Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 9, as we continue our message series from uh, Mark's Gospel. Uh, in this center section of uh, the book of the Gospel, uh, our series is titled The Servant King, for this is the section in which Jesus makes uh, His mission, His purpose uh, abundantly clear to His disciples. So let's continue our journey Uh, In the text, and as you find your place there in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 9, let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 37, the Bible reads this way, The disciples and Jesus left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum when he was in the house. He asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve. And said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them, taking the child in his arms. He said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Let's pray. And Lord God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your instruction. We thank you for words of life. Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom and humility as you lead us by your spirit and rightly understanding the truths of your word and applying them to our lives as your people. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Church, you may be seated. One of the uh, last trips that Ashley and I took before children was to snowshoe West Virginia to go snow skiing uh, with some close friends. Uh, And I remember setting out in our silver Honda Accord uh, and examining, noticing the the beautiful uh, mountain landscape as we went north on I-59 and made our way to Chattanooga and then further east to Knoxville. Onward we went through the Tri-Cities area of eastern Tennessee. We crossed into Virginia before we went due north on I-77. And as we entered into West Virginia, uh, we began to notice the snow-covered mountains uh, in that early January. Indeed, we were on our way. We continued on before merging on I-64 East and coming to Lewisburg, West Virginia, where our interstate trek suddenly came to a halt. And we got off the interstate there and merged onto U.S. Highway uh, 219 also known as Seneca Trail, and we continued on at the speed of about 25 uh, miles per hour on that two-lane snow-covered trail for the next 60 and a half miles. And gradually, we began to wonder if perhaps somewhere along the way we had made a wrong turn. Uh, Surely, the roads would be cleaner and the path would be wider to such a desirable destination. To top it off, as we merged off of 219, we turned on to Snowshoe uh, Drive for the next 6.4 
miles of switchbacks up the mountain, got to the top, and then turned on to Treetop Street for check-in. Everywhere else uh, I have ever been skiing, you stay at the bottom of the mountain, you ride the lift to the top, and then you ski back down. Uh, Not so with snowshoe. Snowshoe, you drive to the top uh, so that when you get up or whenever you feel like going outside, you simply go outside, snap on your skis, and you go right down the mountain. But once we realized where we were and the convenience of skiing there and the abundance of snow uh, there, uh, we thought to ourselves, now this is somewhere we could stay a while. As the disciples of Jesus continue learning from Jesus and hearing from Jesus as they begin to see the path that his mission is going to take, no doubt they began to wonder if suddenly perhaps they had somewhere taken a wrong turn. Surely the roads would be cleaner and the path would be wider to Christ's kingship, the way of his kingdom. But Jesus continues to teach them that the path ahead would be characterized by suffering, by servanthood, even death. Jesus continues to teach his disciples and to tell them that he's a different kind of king than they've ever encountered. He's the servant king. He continues to say, this is the path that I must travel. This one, this Jesus, this servant king teaches God's revolutionary ways. The servant king, Jesus Christ, teaches God's revolutionary ways. Uh, ways The ways of God are not the ways of, of the world. In fact, the ways of the world are sort of like a typical Hallmark Christmas uh, movie. They're, they're rather predictable. The pursuit of power and fame and fortune. This is the well-worn way of kings and presidents, commanders and CEOs. The ways of God are groundbreaking. They are earth-shattering. They are uh, revolutionary. The ways of God are are not the ways of of the world. In fact, God is faithful and, and true. His character is always constant. He is trustworthy, but He is not always so predictable. In fact, He says through His prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 55, verse He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So as the story goes on, and Jesus reveals that the Son of Man is going to suffer, that he's going to be delivered into the hands of men and suffer, the irony of what is being conveyed, what is being communicated, can only be understood in light of the Old Testament, Old Testament prophecies concerning the, the Son of Man. So let me invite you to hold your place here in Mark's Gospel and turn to the left a bit to the Old Testament book of Daniel. This, is, this text is not on your, your screen, so let me invite you to look at, at it with me for just a moment. Daniel's about two-thirds away, I guess, through the, through the Bible, Isaiah Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. Daniel is a prophet who is given a vision from God about uh, the coming Messiah. 
And Daniel says this in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. He says, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days, that is God, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And no doubt, as Jesus is teaching his disciples, he has this prophecy from Daniel in mind. This prophecy about a son of man who is given the power of, of God. This son of man who is given all power and authority Sovereign power and glory, this one whom all nations and peoples will worship, this one who has a kingdom that will never, ever end, this one whose kingdom can never, ever be destroyed. That's the Messiah that Peter and James and John and the other disciples had in mind. That's the Messiah that they were expecting. It's easy for us as believers today to sort of look back and say, come on, guys, didn't you get it? Where did you miss this? Can't you see what Jesus is doing? He's going to the cross for the sins of the world. They didn't have the privilege in that day to read the Bible backwards like we do. You know, reading the Old Testament first is sort of like reading a good mystery. Watching it unfold. There's clues along the way as to where this story is going, but it's often not until the end, until we actually get it. The College Baseball World Series has been going on, and I doubt some of you have been watching some of these games. I've not watched much, but I do know that two SEC teams are now in the finals, the LSU Tigers versus the Florida Gators, and they'll play their first game in a best-of-three series tomorrow evening. And can you imagine if the Florida Gators showed up for uh, that first game, just two wins away from winning it all and suddenly decided that for this round of games, for the final games, they were going to play uh, with all their players on their knees with their dominant hand tied behind their back. I mean, that's foolishness, right? They wouldn't stand a chance. Their fans would be irate. Likewise, the fans of Jesus who welcome Him into Jerusalem on a donkey on Palm Sunday are irate and arrest him and condemn him and crucify him just five days later when he doesn't live up to their expectations for him. And at this point in the journey, the intentional journey on Jesus' part to Jerusalem and the cross, even his friends don't yet get it. Even his friends, these disciples who have been staying with him and, and learning from him, uh, don't get it. The lesson here in Mark chapter 9, verse 31 is, is nothing new. This is, this is a repeat. The master teacher gathers his disciples again and says, today we're going we're gonna to review what we covered last time. This, this is the very same lesson as chapter 8, verse 31. The Son of Man, the Messiah, is going to suffer. He's going to die. And three days later, he's going to rise from the dead. 
No doubt the disciples remembered what happened last time. They remember the exchange between Jesus and Peter, the rebuke that happened there, and they're not going down that road again. So they stay silent. Verse 32, they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They understood just enough to know they didn't want to know anymore. Whatever Jesus said next was not what they wanted to hear. That's not the way that they imagined the story going. So they decided to stay in the dark, at least for the time being. But what about you? Don't you want to know the truth? Don't you want to know what's coming? And praise be to God that, that we know what is coming because we know why this one came from God. We know that just as He said, He would be delivered into the hands of men. But only because the Father planned it from before the foundation of the world to provide atonement for our sins. And just as Jesus said, He would rise from the dead, alleviating sin's grip on us, defeating the grave for us, and extending peace and salvation by His blood on the cross. Church, this is radical news. This is not ordinary news. This is gospel news. This is extraordinary news, radical news. Let's receive the radical news. Receive the radical news of the gospel. The gospel is a message to be believed and received. Have you believed the news? Have you received the news? Receive this radical news of spiritual salvation that is extended to us through faith in Jesus Christ. As Jesus continues to converse with His disciples... As he continues to move toward Jerusalem, he continues teaching them about the ways of God's kingdom. This servant king teaches God's revolutionary ways. And as he does so, he confronts the proud. The servant king teaches God's revolutionary ways, confronting the proud. You see, human pride is inconsistent with the ways of God's kingdom. Peter, who is often depicted in the Gospels as a spokesman for the disciples, later writes a couple letters that find their way into the New Testament. He writes First Peter to a group of scattered Christians, scattered churches, and he instructs them in what it means to know and to follow Jesus, how they're to conduct themselves in the church. And he writes to them, First Peter chapter 5, verse 5, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. He says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Whereas Jesus comes confronting the proud, because those who are proud, those who are consumed with themselves, have missed the call of Jesus. The master teacher goes on, enters the house in Capernaum. Many think this likely was Peter and Andrew's house. And he gathers in the house. He sits down to teach them and he asks them a question. What were you arguing about on the road? 
words, I overheard you quarreling. I saw you quarreling on the way. What were you guys arguing about? Of course, Jesus doesn't ask for information. He already knows the answer. He's teaching them. Earlier, this group of grown men, for fear, afraid to ask a question for understanding of Jesus now, this group of men is afraid to answer the question he asked. They're afraid because they're ashamed. Verse 34, but they they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. They knew they were wrong. Jesus is teaching about his pending suffering and death. His coming martyrdom and the disciples are arguing about their status. Perhaps the exclusive invitation of Peter and James and John to go up to the Mount of Transfiguration sparked this quarrel. Maybe it was the fact that none of the disciples could cast out the demon of the previous passage. Whatever the case, here are the disciples arguing with one another, wishing Jesus would wake up to his mission. Jesus quit all the suffering talk and take the throne as our political liberator and ruler, as our friend. Give us positions of power and status alongside you. They're dreaming of power and status alongside the Messiah and King. And as they are, Jesus suddenly drops a bombshell. Saying, verse 35, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Jesus. This is not what we want to hear. No, let let us be your right hand men. Give us positions of fame and power and fortune. Jesus says, no, that's not the way of my kingdom. The way of my kingdom, servanthood, humility, sacrifice and surrender. In church, it's only as we recognize our sin, our self-centeredness, our pride, and turn to Jesus, are we able to enter and to enjoy the kingdom of God. So let's admit self-absorption and turn to Jesus. After all, we're not that different than the disciples. Let's admit self-absorption, self-centeredness, self-preoccupation. Let's acknowledge our pride and turn to the Savior. After all, that is the call of the gospel. To repent, to confess sin before our perfect maker and to bow before our Savior to acknowledge that He is Lord. Remember the story of Pentecost. Jesus died. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus ascended right back to the right hand of the Father in heaven. As promised, He sends the Spirit, God's Spirit, to enable and empower His followers to proclaim the message of the gospel and to live in light of it. Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he preaches to thousands and thousands are convicted of their sin and want to know how they can make things right. And Peter responds, recorded in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. He says, repent and be baptized. 
you want to make things right, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Peter in the sermon says, you guys are wrong. You are condemned. You, you made a huge mistake. Jesus is the Savior. He is the promised Messiah, and you killed him. Peter continues, but there's hope. It doesn't have to be the end of the story. Because we were wrong too. And Jesus was patient with us. He was gracious to us. He extended forgiveness to us. He called us to repent and to trust in Him for salvation. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't give up on the disciples? He stayed with them and He continued teaching them. Pointing them to the truth. Likewise, Jesus has not given up on us either. You see, there's still hope for us. <laughs> there's hope, there's forgiveness found in the gospel. There's, there's hope for the rebellious child. There's hope for the arrogant father. There's hope for the immoral daughter. There's hope for the greedy and for the selfish if we will only repent and turn to Jesus. Jesus, the servant king, teaches God's revolutionary ways as he confronts the proud and then offers and instructs that a new way of living, a different kind of living, the way of humility. The servant king teaches God's revolutionary ways, confronting the proud and promoting humility. Verse 36, Jesus offers an illustration took a little child whom he placed among them and taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So here as Jesus continues to teach about servanthood and humility, he offers a gut-wrenching illustration to get to the point takes a little child in his arms. He says, you want to you be great in my kingdom? You want to be my people? You want to be part of my kingdom? You want to follow me? You want to serve me? Then, then get your hands dirty serving and caring for the lowly and the weak in this world. For children in that day were regarded with the lowest status. Quite different, perhaps, from our day, but that's a message for another time. Lowest status. They're dependent on others to care for them, to provide for them. Because if you, you want to be great in my kingdom, then, then serve those like this child. And soon, Jesus would predict his pending death a third time. Followed by a third time of destruction, uh, of instruction for his disciples about the way of servanthood. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he says, For even the Son of Man, for even the Son of Man, for even the Messiah, for even the King of the universe, for even God in the flesh, 
for even the one who has all sovereign power, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, this is why I came. This is my purpose. To give my life for you so that you can be forgiven. So that you can be reconciled to God. So that you can live forever and ever. Apostle Paul later summarizes this gospel truth this way. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. He says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Whereas the gospel says, you're concerned with your status. You want to be important. You want to be someone significant. This is your status. Sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, you and I were not all that different from the disciples. We didn't understand enough. We didn't know enough. We weren't good enough. And yet God loved us enough to send Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Savior of the world, to die on the cross for our sins so that we could have life. So that we could be given a new position, a new status. Completely undeserved, yet fully given. Saints of God. Heirs of Christ's kingdom. Sons and daughters of the eternal Father. Representatives of the King. In church like that snowy mountain resort up in West Virginia, those who recognize this truth know that this is somewhere they'd like to stay a while. This is a name they'd like to be given quite some time. Somewhere they'd like to be forever. And by God's grace, you and I can. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And until that day, for one day, He will return and we will fully enjoy Him. His provision, His presence, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more pain. Always joyful, always enjoying Him to the fullest. But until that day, we are called to serve Him here and now. To serve the King. And Jesus makes it clear that we serve Him by serving all in His name. Serve the King by serving all. Jesus said, verse 35, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Scriptures state it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Christians are commanded, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others in church in Jesus we have the supreme example of one who in humility looked to our interest by going to the cross for our sake as believers in him let's follow the one who is the way the truth and the life 
by embracing the way of God's kingdom. And Father, we pray this morning that you would help us to do so. Lord, that you would give us the strength and the desire, the willingness to to turn to Jesus, the brokenness to confess our sin before you, to acknowledge our failure, our shortcoming, and our need for a Savior. Father, lead us by your Spirit that we might turn to Jesus for life, for sustenance, for joy, and for salvation. Lord, we've gathered this morning in your name, longing to hear from you, longing to be led by you. Lord, we pray that you would lead us now as we take the truths of your word to heart, as we respond to you, as we acknowledge our desire to live for you in the renown of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lead us now, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.